lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Hello, welcome to Lit with Lloyd. Uh, I am your host, Lloyd Russell, uh, and today uh, we have a real treat. Uh, we have Sheldon Siegel, who has written a series of books about uh, attorneys in San Francisco. Uh, legal murder mysteries, would you say? Yes. Okay. Uh, they're great books, uh, and um, Sheldon and I go back a ways. So uh, it's a real pleasure to have him here, and welcome, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. <laughs> great. Okay. First question, or it's a comment followed by a question. One of the things I've noticed in your books is how well-developed your characters are. Uh, and in particular, you have a blood spatter expert <laughs> that, that is very well-developed. Tell us how you came up with that particular character. I was trying to think of the most brilliant person I knew on planet Earth. And the first, uh, first person who came to mind was a character that I named Lloyd Russell, who, of course, in my book has multiple PhDs <laughs> and is a professor emeritus at Berkeley and, um, and, and plays a pivotal role in, uh, in at least one of my books and will probably be reappearing before too long. Well, I have to say that I really have no idea what a blood spatter expert is, but but I'm, I don't care because I'm happy to be in the book. Well, and I am happy to have you, and I want you to know your character has uh, has tested very well with my readers. They really like you, so you're going to have to become a recurring character. <laughs> okay, now we can turn a little bit more serious. Uh, it seems like there are a fair amount of attorneys that end up writing novels. Why do you think that is? I mean, I know you guys do a lot of writing, but but what what prompted you to start writing novels? Yeah, there are a lot of attorneys who do this, and even more uh, in about the last 25 years. Uh, uh, the modern era of the lawyer novel probably started uh, in 1986 when Scott Turow did Presumed Innocent and a couple years later John Grisham did The Firm and if you talk to a lot of the lawyer authors uh, their story is somewhat similar to mine which is when I was thinking about maybe I should write a book uh, I had just read Presumed Innocent and I thought well if I ever get around to writing the book that I probably will never write <laughs> I'd like to do a courtroom novel uh, the reality of it is the courtroom novel genre is not new. You know, it didn't start with Thoreau. Perry Mason was around long before that. And Anatomy of a Murder, which I still view as one of the greatest lawyer books of all time, if not the very best, and also an excellent movie, uh, which won an, you know multiple Oscars. Uh, that book was written in 1958. Wow. Which coincidentally is the year that I was born. <laughs> so if, you're, uh, if your viewers haven't read it or rented the movie, they, uh, they really should. Uh, as far as how I got started, um, I always wanted to write novels, uh, going back to maybe high school. And I don't know why. And I've talked to other writers about this. And the answer is 
usually about the same, which is uh, it's sort of hot wired into our system that maybe we should try to do this. And it's a bit presumptuous because you, you have to go on the assumption that you have something that people might be interested in reading. <laughs> and that isn't necessarily always the case. Um, but a lot of us want to try it, and even more so with the success of uh, uh, a lot of the lawyer writers uh, along the way. Uh, so when I finally got to, around to writing the story that I was probably never going to write, <laughs> uh, I decided I would try to write a, 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 a courtroom drama set in San Francisco. Uh, and and when you actually did the writing because you, you at, at that time especially, you were a very uh, active attorney uh, and you were taking the ferry right from Marin County to San Francisco. Uh, is that where you actually started your writing? It is. Uh, that, that, that's not just publicity from my, uh, my publishers over the years, <laughs> but um, I, um, I, I started writing my first book, Special Circumstances, uh, on a laptop on the Larkspur Ferry in 1995. <laughs> My wife, Linda, who's been very supportive about all of my creative endeavors, um, bought me this fancy laptop because she got tired of hearing me talk about writing a novel someday. <laughs> and she said, um, I'm going to give you this laptop, go write your novel and come back when it's done. And I found out later that she figured I would quit after two weeks and, and give her the laptop back. Ah. But I fooled her. And I set a goal for myself of finishing the first draft of this book by my 40th birthday, which was July 14th, 1998. And I beat my deadline by three days. Oh my gosh. So I would encourage uh, the aspiring writers out there to, um, to take advantage of your midlife crisis <laughs> and write a book. And, uh, um, and there's nothing in my background that would suggest that I would be good at this. I was a, a full-time lawyer at the time with a big firm in San Francisco. I've worked for big firms for 35 years uh, in San Francisco. And in real life, I'm a corporate lawyer. I do not do uh, criminal work or even civil litigation. I studied accounting in college and I, I don't have a drawer full of short stories or manuscripts. Ah. The first book I wrote was the first book that uh, was published. and. Um, you know, if you get pulled over for a traffic stop, I'm the wrong guy to call because I really have never handled a criminal case. Huh. Uh, fortunately, huh. I get help from my friends who are public defenders and prosecutors and judges and <laughs> some police officers. Uh, and of course, experts on various fields, including blood spatter experts. <laughs> uh, tell us about your protagonists and how many books have you written in the series? Yeah, well, I've written 13 books in the series featuring uh, Mike Daly and Rosie Fernandez. They are uh, what I used to call small-time criminal defense attorneys, but uh, later in the series they become a little more big time. Uh, Mike, uh, the stories are told by Mike, who is, um, uh, well now he's younger than I am. When the book started he was a little older than I was. <laughs> Uh, Mike is a guy from San Francisco, originally from the Mission, uh, but grew up in the Sunset. He was a, uh, a public defender. Uh, that didn't work out. He was a priest. That didn't work out. <laughs> he went to law school. Uh, that worked out. Uh, he also was an ex-husband and an ex-partner at a big firm in downtown San Francisco. Uh, similar to the firm where I've worked for many years, but our firm is much nicer. <laughs> uh, he practices law uh, in the early books with his ex-wife, Rosie Fernandez, 
native of the mission, San Francisco State, Hastings Law School. She was the best public defender in the San Francisco Public Defender's Office uh, e eons ago. And she mentored Mike after he got out of the priesthood. And they, they were very good at being lawyers. They were not so good when they decided to get married. <laughs> the marriage did not last, but their relationship did. Uh, they have two kids. And they're very good parents. They live a uh, short distance from each other in Marin County. Uh, and they are, in my mind, the lawyers you would call if you really got into trouble. Uh, they're also, at least in the, the early books, you know, the, the only honest lawyers on planet Earth. <laughs> Um, in the first book, Special Circumstances, they say you should write about what you know. And I, I wrote a story about a murder in a big law firm. <laughs> and after finishing that book, I realized um, that it's a story about a murder in a big law firm, but it really is a story about Mike and Rosie and their relationship and how that evolves over time uh, and over the course of the series. Well, uh, I would like to point out that I've read all of them uh, even before I appeared in them. Uh, so uh, they're, they're great books. Um, but you also have one other book that you wrote. And tell us about that one. Yeah, I, I wrote a, a non-series book uh, set in my hometown of Chicago. It's called The Terrorist Next Door. It's the story of what might happen uh, if someone decides to uh, try to essentially shut down the, uh, the cell phone grid in a big city. Uh, and I had promised my mom, because uh, I grew up in Chicago, I promised her that I would write a story set in Chicago on the southeast side where I grew up. And after writing, uh, after writing uh, at that time, I think uh, 11 books with an ex-priest as, uh, as the protagonist, I decided that I, I would have a Jewish protagonist because my mom wanted me to do that. <laughs> and I learned from that, you should always listen to your mother. <laughs> uh I, I know you just said that, you know, it's basically a, a standalone. Uh, will you write another book about that character? Yeah, I, I'm, I've been meaning to go back to that. It was intended to be the start of a new series. And in fact, I got about 100 pages into a sequel. And then I got busy with the San Francisco stories again. So I had to put that aside. Uh, but after I finish, I'm working on the 14th San Francisco book. And I think I know what the 15th is going to be about. <laughs> And then I, I, I do want to go back and try to finish the, uh, the second Chicago story. And I would envision that, I think, as at least a trilogy and maybe a few more if, um, if I can do it. Good. Uh, I'd like to see a sequel, please. I, I, I promise. <laughs> it, it, is, uh, it is forthcoming. Okay. Uh, and uh, when did you move here from Chicago? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I came to law school at Berkeley. I, I, uh, I grew up in... Uh, originally from the southeast side. We moved to the suburbs in 1970 when I was 12. Uh, I went to college at the University of Illinois in Champaign, and then I moved out here in 1980 to go to law school at UC Berkeley. And that was fortuitous because it didn't snow here. And <laughs> I also met my wife, Linda, there, who uh, was an undergrad while I was in law school. We met in a parking lot in Berkeley. We will celebrate our 34th anniversary uh, uh, this year, and Linda uh, Linda got her degree in computer science and then an MBA and spent about 25 years uh, doing computer graphics for Industrial Light and Magic, and so that is how we end up uh, ended up in Marin, and she had a really interesting job uh, working for George Lucas for many years. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, tell us now about the publishing process. Uh, yours is is 
is seems to run uh, a, a, across several levels uh, and different uh, approaches. And I think we all would like to know about that. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I've kind of done it every which way. Um, <laughs> my first seven books uh, I did with traditional publishers, uh, which I think was good because when you start uh, in the publishing world, it's very helpful to have experienced editors to take you through the process. And uh, I did my first two books with uh, Bantam Dell, which was an imprint at Random House. And my editor was Ann Harris, who had been there for 30 years, and she edited um, uh, The Exorcist and Betty Ford's autobiography. Whoa. So when Ann told me to change a comma, I changed the commas. <laughs> uh, then I did three books with, uh, with Putnam, and of course Random House and Putnam have now merged into, uh, uh, and I, the, my editor there was Neil Nyron, who's also a very experienced, wonderful editor. And uh, Neil also edited Tom Clancy and Clive Cussler and Dave Barry and all these really wow. high-end authors. So uh, he really had a good eye uh, for the stories and what what I was doing, um, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, after the the fifth book, uh, the sales had plateaued, and I did two more in the series with a smaller publisher in San Francisco uh, called McAdam Cage, and they went out of business during the Great Recession. So I was seven books into a series. Uh, I had put five of them on the New York Times list and made you know seven figures in royalties, and at that point. Uh, I was essentially without a publisher. And that was, you know, that was a very difficult time, but, you know, that's a really good career for most authors. So I kept writing, and uh, around uh, 2010, I also started reacquiring the rights to all my old books. And I got them all back, took about three years. Wow. Um, and it was about that time where Amazon was starting to, um, it started their uh, independent uh, self-publishing imprint uh, called um, uh, well, a, uh, not ACX um, uh, it'll come to me uh, in any event I, I re-edited all of the earlier books and kept writing and in 2014 we and, and Linda did new covers with help from some people who used to design movie posters at Lucasfilm and we re-released the entire series in 2014 uh, independently, and we do all of the books now ourselves, uh, and there have been six more since then. And uh, it was about that time where uh, Amazon released the iPad, and then uh, everybody started, uh, the, the iPhones came out and all the uh, smartphones came out, and ebooks and digital reading became a huge, huge deal. So our timing was very mm -hmm. fortuitous, and so we're doing it all ourselves now, uh, it doesn't work for everybody, but I had exactly the right product uh, for this, uh, the current environment. And uh, remarkably and very thankfully for us, I, I'm actually now selling more books and making more in royalties than I did when my books were on the New York Times list. Wow. Yeah, it's, an, it's a different world in the publishing universe now. How, how, how would that even happen? How, how does you get the word out to so many people to buy books that'll buy the books. Well, I had a huge advantage because I already had an audience and I already had seven books in a series that people liked and they were waiting for more. 
And in the, the, the current marketing environment, you know, you can do a lot online that you can no longer, you, you, you can still try to do at bookstores, which I love bookstores, I love libraries, but the reach, particularly of Amazon and the publishing industry is so huge. And in genre fiction, uh, eBooks are the biggest part of the market, not just for guys like me, for John Grisham and, you know, Scott Chirot and all the, the big hitters. And even more so since uh, COVID happened, because people have been staying home and anybody who didn't know how to download or, or order a physical book from Amazon has learned how to do that. And I don't agree with everything Amazon does, but they have created opportunities uh, for writers uh, that just simply didn't exist five, 10, and certainly 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I remember meeting with my original publisher at at Bantam Dell in you know 1999 when I got my first book deal before the book came out, and I said, "Do you think the ebook thing will ever be anything?" And he looked me right in the eye and said, "No, <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> People just aren't going to read on those things." And so, you know, it's a different not, world. Not true. Yeah, <laughs> but we've also adapted. I'm very fortunate because Linda has a has a tech background, so we can adapt very quickly. Uh, to changes in the market. And, you know, if you could do special effects on Forrest Gump, you could figure out how to format an ebook. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it wasn't a big stretch. But even the, the indie market has changed a lot in the last four or five years. And we've tried to adapt to that as we've gone. Hey, for example, uh, five years ago, Amazon did not offer paid advertising on their site. Um, uh, to indie authors, and I don't think they even offered it to the big publishers. And now, uh, if you want to have any chance of selling a lot of books on Amazon, you almost have to pay for advertising on the Amazon site in one form or another. Wow. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly. Thank you to the City of Montessorino for their continued support of KCAT Public Media. The City of Montessorino has enabled KCAT to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38 years. Thank you. Uh, and we're back with Sheldon Siegel. Uh, and um, I, I forgot to ask you an earlier question, and it's really an important question because south side of Chicago, and now you've lived twice as long in the Bay Area. Is it the White Sox or the Giants? Oh, it's still the White Sox. It is. It, it is. You know, I, I have lived here for 42 years now, <laughs> and I've thought about that over the years because, you know, if I had just changed allegiances at least after Michael Jordan retired, you know, I, I could have had a lot, I would have had a much happier life if I had just adopted the Bay Area teams. Uh, I will say this, once the Chicago teams are eliminated, which tends to happen pretty early for most of them, I immediately hop onto the bandwagon for the Bay Area teams. So um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna stick with my, uh, my home team uh, my hometown teams for now, but it's much easier to be a bandwagon uh, yeah. fan. You know, there's no pressure. <laughs> 
And of course, my kids and my wife are all um, Bay Area fans. They're all Giants fans. Huh. And there was a period of, you know, what was it, five years there where the Giants won three World Series, and they think this happens all the time. <laughs> you know, my White Sox have won one World Series. I mean, well, in 1917, they won. In 1919, they threw the World Series. Correct. And then they won again as recently as 2005. So, Well, that's twice then. So. It is. Okay. It is. Not bad. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, I want to I want to actually mention something that I know is is very hard and and you know if it's not something that you want to talk about you know feel free but your law firm is in San Francisco uh, and a few years back you did have a very harrowing experience there. Do you mind talking about that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm okay. happy to talk about Please. that. Um, in in uh, July of 1993, I was working at the Pettit and Martin firm in the 101 California office tower, and uh, many of your viewers who have been around for a while may recall that uh, on July 1st of 1993, at our firm, one of our former clients who had gone mad. Uh, came into the firm uh, armed with uh, an Uzi and pistols, and he walked down the hall and and he shot uh, and killed eight people and mm. wounded several others. And one other person died a couple of years later. We think it was because we were related to his wounds. And I mean, it was just horrible. Uh, it was one of those experiences. Now you know. Now I can talk about it because it was almost 30 years ago, and it's kind of a out of body thing for me, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you were on you were on another floor at the time, weren't you? Yes, I was two floors above where the guy came through, and I was sitting in my office, and my secretary came by, and said, um, she she said she didn't know how to tell me this, but they're saying that there's a guy on the thirty fourth floor with a gun and he's shooting people. And she said later, I looked at her like she was crazy because you don't expect that on the thirty sixth floor of an office building. And you know, in those days, you know, thirty years ago. Also, there were not mass shootings every few days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got very lucky. I got um, a bunch of us got behind a closed door in our personnel department, and you know the door locked, and there were probably thirty of us in there uh, in an interior office, and we just waited it out for the yeah. next two hours. We knew it was a big problem. You know, I didn't see anything, I didn't hear anything, but we knew because the phones were working. Uh, but there were no like cell phones back then. There right. was no internet back then. Mm. And so we waited for two hours and uh, the police were wonderful. They were just extraordinarily brave. I mean, it turns out the guy who'd done the shooting had killed himself in, uh. in a stairway. You know, the whole thing lasted about 20 minutes. So we waited out until the, um, you know, until the police came by and said, uh, you know, all clear. Um, and I, I don't know, I mean, I, I had an idea of, uh, for a story about a murder in a big law firm before that event. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm, I was a little uncomfortable even thinking about it for the longest time. And the story that ended up in Special Circumstances, my first book, is a story about a murder in a big law firm, but not anything like what happened at, uh, at Pettit and Martin. And um, we, we closed the firm two years later, and most of us moved over to the Shepard Mullen firm where I am now. And it was at that point where I decided, you know, if I'm ever going to write the novel that I probably will never write, this would be a good time to get started. Uh huh. So um, that is when I took my one creative writing class at Book Passage, our local Indian Marin County, and uh, I, I did start seriously working on the book. 
And I can't tell you for sure if the events at the Pettit firm hadn't happened, I don't know, you know, I probably would have tried to write a novel, but I don't know if I would have started when I did. And obviously, you know, it's it's just one of those things. Does anybody, how many floors did the law firm have in that building? Uh, four. And, and does anybody know why he picked that floor? Well, uh, oddly enough, well, he we had, um, we our main entrance was on the 35th floor and he got off the elevator on 34 because the elevator had stopped there. Uh. We think he was going to the 35th uh. and he saw the sign that said Pettit and Martin. So he got out and saw a conference room full of people. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, so I got lucky. I was on a different floor. If he had gone into onto 35, there was also a big meeting going on in a bigger conference room. And those people probably would have been yeah. you know, oh. shot. And there's like no playbook for this stuff. Right, right. You know, he just went marching down the hall. And there were, sh you know, there were close calls. There were people who, you know, dove under their desks as he walked by. And, um, and he, um, uh, instead of coming up, uh, the staircase he went down and that's wow. why he ended up you know he realized he was not going to get away and so he he committed suicide uh, on the stairway wow yeah. horrible stuff really horrible stuff yeah okay well thank you uh, let's get back to more pleasant things uh, shall we uh, your series of books would make a great tv series <laughs> Have you had any interest from a, a TV studio or, or a movie studio? Uh, from time to time, we have we've gotten contacted. You know, it happens. And it, it, when the first book came out, we had a, a lot of interest uh, because it was a first book and it was very heavily promoted by uh, by Bantam Dell at the time. Uh, but that was 2000, and the world was different. Then they were thinking feature film or maybe going to you know, the networks, you know, in those days you started at CBS and ABC and then you worked your way down to the Hallmark channel <laughs> and then you worked your way to, you know, Novato cable access. <laughs> uh, so, you know, th there was some interest back then. I had a, I had a big time movie agent uh, at what was then Endeavor and now is William Morris. And, and he pitched it pretty hard for, for a few years. And then, you know, they kind of, they have short attention spans. Um, <laughs> And then more recently, and then it kind of went cold, and my agent and I parted company, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago, because he really wasn't looking. Uh, and we've had a lot more interest in the last four or five years because the, the environment has changed. Now you start at Netflix and Amazon, and you know, if you can, and they, they do, at least they have been, you know, buying a lot of content. And so, you know, I'd love to see it happen. It would be a lot of fun if it did. Uh, the closest we ever got was when I wrote a pilot because the Hollywood, the Hollywood people seem, they'll, they'll read you know a 40 page pilot, uh -huh. they won't read a 400 page book. <laughs> and the, the people who were looking at it said, you know, we really like this, but uh, obviously you're not gonna be the screenwriter. And I said, that's correct. I don't know what I'm doing and I really don't wanna stop writing novels to write screenplays. And they said, okay that's fine and the, one of the reasons they they decided not to do it was they didn't believe me they thought <laughs> i really wanted to be a screenwriter and, and you know i mean i have great respect for people who do that i think you know it's it's a different skill uh and network tv in particular where you gotta observe very rigid covenants you know very 
um, you have to put the commercials in in the right place. Uh, there's certainly more flexibility now um, in the streaming services, but I, I'd love to see it happen. I think it would lend itself really well to, um, you know, to a, an extended series. Yes. Um, you know, it's character-driven stuff. Right. Um, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. If any of your viewers are in the uh, TV business, we are open for business. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, the rights are all available. <laughs> uh, would you ever consider going with uh, a publisher at this point? Or have you written that off for good? You know, never say never, but the reality of it is uh, uh, I really like the way I'm doing things now. I have complete control over every aspect of uh, of the stories. I mean, creatively, uh, from a business side, uh, I'm not in competition with other authors at the same publishing house for um, release dates and for marketing money. Uh, you know, Linda and I made a commitment when we started doing this independently to do it ourselves. And to be honest, it would also be very difficult for a traditional publisher. They, they won't pick up a series midstream. Uh -huh. So I, in fact, I got a, uh, I got a call out of the blue from a pretty big time New York agent uh, a few weeks ago who said, you know, we noticed you're selling a lot of books. <laughs> we think we can help you. Uh -huh. And uh, I told him, well, you know, uh, the series books, I don't know that you guys can do it as well as I can. And he said, oh, well, you're going to have to write something new. <laughs> and I said, I don't think you can match what I'm doing right now. And then I told him how much we were getting in royalties. And he said, you're right, I can't. But if you ever write a standalone, you know, or a, a new series, call us. And I, you know, I said I would. Um, I really like um, having, you know, I'm a lawyer. I, I really like having control over the whole, <laughs> the whole process. And I mean, one of the big advantages is, uh, you know, when the books are ready, the books are ready when I say they're ready and we can release them in a matter of days. If I went with a traditional publisher today and they signed me to a contract tomorrow, uh, if the book was even written, which, you know, it probably would be, the likelihood that that book would be published before, you know, early 2024 is pretty remote. You know, they work on an 18 month, at least an 18 month lag time. Yeah. I, I can't, you know, I don't do that. You can't and you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, so you said that Linda, Linda handles the covers. Yes. Who picks the narrator for the audiobooks? Oh, I do. Well, Linda and I do. We we've worked uh, with a with an absolutely spectacular narrator. His name is Tim Campbell. Uh, he is a, an actor in L.A. And when he's not performing, and he performs in the big theaters in L.A. He's, oh wow! He's very good. His wife is also a a performer, and she is spectacular. Um, but when they um, when they are not performing, and certainly during COVID. You know, they had a lot of, you know, a lot of time. And Tim has done hundreds of books. Uh, you know, that's kind of his sidelight. He has a studio in his house. They have really cute one-year-old twins who <laughs> I, I like watching, uh, watching them as he, uh, you know, he puts up pictures regularly. But um, uh, that's another aspect of this that I really like, which is we get to pick our narrator. And we found a really good one. And he's done, uh, I think, 11 of the 13 books uh, and he's done all the, the more recent ones. So we're, we're going with Tim for as long as 
we can. And he's, you know, got to pay for a lot of diapers. So we hope he's going to be <laughs> sticking with us for a while. Uh, so, and, and you just have one narrator per book, right? Yes. Or for all the books. I, I think that's great. Well, and, and a good narrator makes a huge difference. You know, there are all, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks, and you know, if you get someone who who's really good and knows what they're doing, um, and and you know, he that process is really easy. I send him the manuscript, he records it, I listen to it, you know, on the computer, uh, and you know, it's ready to go within a few days. Wow! And and that process with traditional publishers takes months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so. Will you, you said you've got books 14 and, and I, you know, and 15, you've got an idea for 15. You might do another David Gold. Do you ever see yourself branching out either into a new series or a standalone or a different genre? Oh. Um, I think there's a possibility of maybe a new crime novel story somewhere down the road. Uh, you know, I, every time I think I've exhausted Mike and Rosie, I come up with a, an idea for something <laughs> new uh -huh. or I see something in the paper. And, you know, it, it's weird because it uh, uh, seems like when I get to about two thirds or three quarters of the way through a manuscript, I get an idea for another book. And it's happened like 10 times now. And I always think that new idea is the greatest thing I've ever thought of. <laughs> it never is, but that usually becomes the next book. So I have to discipline myself to make sure I finish what I'm working on and then I get to start the next one. Um, so I, I think Mike and Rosie are going to be uh, going to be busy for a few more years. I do want to do the second Chicago book and I could see maybe doing another crime novel. I, I'm really not uh, I mean it would be fun to do something different. You know all writers I think aspire to do literary stuff. I'm simply not qualified to do it. I studied accounting in college. Uh, and I tend to write the books, you know, the kind of books that I like to read. And I write to entertain people on airplanes. You know, it's so. Well, as, as, a, as an avid fan, uh, not only are they, can you read them at, at, at any different spot in the, in the series, um, but they're all, they're all very readable. Uh, they're not too long. Uh, you know, they, they, they've got great uh, peripheral characters that are not that peripheral. Uh, and uh, it's a great series that I hope you continue writing for a long time, whether or not you have a blood spatter expert <laughs> in them. We're going to insist on a movie role for you, Lloyd. <laughs> I'll settle to see my name. And, and by the way, people, I was reading uh, the book that I'm in. I was reading it uh, because um, uh, I'm one of the early readers uh, uh, for, for Sheldon's book after he gets it kind of ready. Uh, and when I saw my name in the book, I, I just about plotted. I mean, <laughs> and when I mentioned it to you, you said, you said, I've been waiting for you to get to that spot. Yeah. So it was one of the, really a highlight for me in the literary world. So I appreciate that. Well, I was happy to do it. Okay. All right. Well, let's do, um, let's do a little bit of trivia. And this is, this, is, uh, this is a little bit different than my normal questions. And, and uh, tell me if you want to throw some answers out. Don't sure. feel obligated. 
The most read books of all time. The most read books. You know, the books, the, the books that have been read the most. <laughs> of mine or? Of all time. No, of all time. All books. Oh, or wouldn't it be the Bible? The Bible is definitely in there. There are 11 of them. Is really? There any, is there anything else that just... And, and some of them are kind of series mm -hmm. that it's not, it's not a solo book, but it's a series of books. Oh, I, I wouldn't know. I, I would guess, you know, a bunch of romance novels. But <laughs> You know, that's an interesting comment. None of them are romance novels. Really? That is interesting. Although Agatha Christie mm -hmm. is the best-selling author of all time besides the Bible and Shakespeare. Oh, yes. I should okay. have, I should have thought. Two billion books or something like that. Wow. So the other 10 are... The Holy Quran, the Harry Potter series, yeah. the quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong. I guess that's because they have a 1.7 billion people in China. Lord of the Rings. Mm. This one really surprised me. The Alchemist by really? Paulo Coelho. Um, I, I read it. I, it didn't do much for me. I know it's popular, but I didn't know it was that popular. Wow. The Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, the Twilight Saga, Gone with the Wind, and here's another interesting one, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Really? Yes, which is, for those of you who don't know it or recognize it, it's nonfiction. It's, a, it's an older book. He probably wrote it in the 30s or 40s, um, and it's How to Grow Rich. <laughs> so those are the 11, and a couple of them definitely surprised me yeah me yeah too. Uh, okay well uh, that'll do it for us as I expected I had high expectations for this being a really fun interview and it it, it exceeded it it's just so so great to have you so thank you again for coming on thanks very much Lloyd all right that's about all we got I want to thank KCAT because they're the best they sponsor us they they make sure that we that they put very professional people behind the scenes. Uh, thank you, Shan and Alex, uh, and uh, we'll see you next time. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org radio.